Welcome back and welcome to our Backstory Conversation with Beverly Schwartz. Bev, thank you so much for your wonderful and very moving story saying goodbye and for joining the conversation. <laughs> this, of course, is not your first story on True Tales Live uh, or our first conversation. I enjoyed both before and so glad you're back. And I want to plunge right in. Previously, you shared with us, as Pat mentioned, your pioneering efforts in the development of STEM education. And while that might seem like a long way from storytelling, I think that it is not. And what's more, I think that you think that it's not. And we'll get to that in a minute. But first, I'd like to dig into your STEM story. What led you to an interest in STEM education? Well, I never really cared for science or math. I hated those subjects. But as a teacher in elementary, the state required you to teach certain things like electricity, magnetism, space, health, the environment. So hmm, how I didn't think I was very good at it. And then one day I got a letter in my mailbox at work and it said that New York State was going to require a hands-on science test at the end of the year to see if you taught what you were supposed to do hands-on and compare you and your kids to everyone in the state. Now, I didn't want to get fired. I didn't want my kids to look bad, and I didn't want to look bad. So, hmm, what do I do? My school was right next to RPI. So I walked over after school and found I had seen a um, a um, let's, uh, this woman who was, was a physics teacher demonstrating and I went in and she said, had a sign, demonstration today, all welcomed. So I walked in and guess what? I went down and said, I need help and told her the problem. Okay, we'll solve that. How, would you like me and students and professors to come into your classroom? We'll look together and create lessons to teach what you have to teach the kids and bring all the equipment free to you and help you not only demonstrate, but break it up into hands-on science so they know how to take the test. And that started STEM. We did it in science. We did a technology, engineering, and math. We did all the subjects incorporated basically in what we did for third graders. And then it got noticed by other teachers. Oh, we're taking the test too. Can we get involved? And pretty soon most of the school was involved. And then we got some publicity the state came in, observed me and said, this is great. Not only was I doing science, technology, engineering, and math, but I hated as a teacher, half an hour writing, half an hour reading, half an hour math, half an hour this and that. Why was I teaching everything separately? Why couldn't I teach it as a whole and incorporate my math, incorporate fairy tales into the writing of doing some type of a science project. And so what we always did was also, we every time we did something, we had to write what we did, what we learned. And after we finished our books, you know, we put them together, public speaking, we'd go, I'd send a thing around to teachers, who wants to hear my one of my kids read their own book? And the funny thing was, was in 1987 or eight, around there, uh, the com first computer lab in RPI had, which was one of the first in the U.S. And my RPI student says, you know, we can take the kids and write on computers to their books and print it out. And I said to them, what's a computer? 
I didn't know what it was. And then, well, you'll see, have your kids write your compositions and bring them. And I said to the kids, who's ever heard of a computer? They looked at me like that. <laughs> we were probably the first kids in America who wrote our books on computers. And I think you're going to probably ask me is, how can you relate it to fairy tales and storytelling and folk tales? Example, Tinkerbell. You know, the lights shining all over the place. Well, the theme was with electricity and magnetism. If you were Tinkerbell, how would you, without electricity, make all the lights go like Tinkerbell did? And we had to have the kids make different circuits and this and that, maybe under like a night light that they made in a box and carry it around and make believe they were Tinkerbell and make up their own fairy tale about that. So we incorporated all these different stories. If when we did space, said make up a fairy tale or, or a story of you know something that you would like to be creative about. One of the kids went, how do you go to the bathroom in space? <laughs> they loved it. They, and they wrote and wrote and they would read them out loud. And then sometimes they even wrote poems that they would enjoy doing. So and then they would present them. We'd always invited parents in at the end of each unit, all the people that had come and helped us. Not only did they read everything that they wrote to everyone, but every time we had someone come in, we were the best thank you letter writers in America. Because every <laughs> time we wrote thank you notes and sent them to everyone. Well, this is great. <clears throat> this is so nice of you to conduct the interview of you by you. That works very well. I actually wanted to ask you a related question because you founded a nonprofit organization and True Tales Live is a nonprofit organization. And uh, generally, well, forming a nonprofit can sometimes be a challenge and come with obstacles. So mm -hmm. what led you to that particular, to go that route? Well, when I won the 1990 Christian McAuliffe Award, NBC, Jane Pauley did a special on me on TV and the whole capital district was watching. Now each our since we had so many colleges, we have engineering societies. So they asked me to be a keynote speaker to talk to them about STEM. I had originally called it Learn Tech and switched it to the name STEM. Do you think we can run your program in all four counties of the capital district? I said, I guess so. So we formed a board with um, the engineering societies, professors, um, teachers, um, parents. And for a year, we formed a directory. We bought stuff out of our own pockets or people who donated kits that teachers could borrow and use without having to buy anything that they needed for the New York State curriculum. Well, we were ready to run, but we didn't realize one thing. We couldn't accept donations from like senators, congressmen, even big business, because they wanted tax write-offs. So we applied for a 501c3 to become able to accept funding. And all the, we did not charge the teachers anything for the directories, anything to borrow the kits. We had um, once or twice a year meet the mentor night and meet the professors and the other professionals in the area to actually the teachers would come, the kids would come see our kits, and the teachers would say, wow, I can invite them in free 
And we bought, for example, a stuff for $2,000, it cost us an electric magnetic machine where you know, you're static, your hair goes up in it. And we were able to give this to any teacher who wanted it and have it demonstrated. I mean, we had science equipment that no other place in America could have put their hands on at that time. And we got computers donated to schools from GE, for example, because the newer ones were coming up. So we were, our four districts, Albany, Schenectady, Saratoga, and Rensselaer, were well supplied with the best science equipment that they could use in the area of STEM and others. We went to a medical school. We had medical students come in because did you know that some, they require them to have um, to do something in the community? And they would come in and I had cow's eyes coming in to, for the kids to dissect. We saw real lungs and real brains. And we did. We went actually to the medical center and we did a play for the medical school of the kids doing a surgery operation. The girls were the doctors. The boys, of course, were the nurses. <laughs> so we made sure, you know, we showed that as well, women and young girls can be anything they want to be as well. <laughs> Well, next, and this is a little like having buried the lead, I'd like to turn to your entrance into the world of storytelling. So um, you, we talked a little bit here about using storytelling as part of STEM education and training. But what led you to actually come into uh, first-person storytelling? Moving that um, well, I started going to storytelling after I retired. Um, the churches had it. Um, Proctors and GE had storytelling. That's where the big Broadway plays are. And I went to private homes and I said, I wish I could do that. And I said, you know, you know, so finally I talked to one of the people who taught storytelling around here. And she said, well, you have to take a course at Saratoga Library. And then you come to our story circles and you start with a story and we'll help critique it. And we'll help mentoring you of how to take your ideas and your life's experiences and create good stories. And it's a learning process. I look back at the first couple, two, I'm only doing this my fourth year, but for wow. the first two years, I really wasn't that good. <laughs> but I learned, and I'm still learning, how to create stories um, on all different levels. And I think that you have to be open to hearing what people have to say to you and think about how, just like a teacher would, what's the best way of reaching your kids? What's the best way through your stories of making a difference in a person's life and realizing that everyone has experiences like you or you're not different than anyone else. We're all the same. We all share the same feelings and thoughts. As we begin to wind down, uh, one more question. Um, a thing that we talk about after the coming of COVID in a, amongst ourselves in True Tales Live is about the future of first-person storytelling. Now we're on Zoom before we did it in person, and it's kind of a question in my mind as to, and in a lot of our minds as to where it's going. So I wanted to ask you, what do you think the future of storytelling holds? Zoom saved my life during the COVID, and I met so many nice people and friends, and I travel now to Australia, India, Europe, Montreal, Canada, all over. 
And every time I come to these events, half the people here I've seen all over the country and the world too. And I think Zoom is the way to go. You can also, what I did, I went to California once. They put me on a TV screen. They had about 40 people there. Some were telling stories and some were listeners. And they had people that were just listening on Zoom and people who wanted to talk on Zoom and tell their story. It can work. You just have to put a little effort into it. And I think this is the way of modern technology because there's going to be other sicknesses around the world and things like that. And this is the new world we're in. And I think it you can have some in person and some on Zoom at events and everyone is a winner. Well, thank you for that. My last question is always the same question. For newbies or almost new storytellers, in a few words, what would you recommend? Tips for telling new stories for newbies? Tell from your heart and your soul. Be real. Don't don't try to be who you're not, because people can pick up on that. Be happy. And there is a lot of work behind creating a story. If you want to be a good storyteller, you have to put some effort in and shut the TV off and not have anything behind you to distract you. Like earlier, my cat was trying to get my attention on the kitchen table. He knows the word down now very well. Well, friends, this brings us to the end of our conversation with Beverly Schwartz. Thank you, Beverly, so much for your story and your STEM work and for our backstory conversation. And for those who'd like to learn more, I believe Amy will be posting a link to your STEM website in the chat. And then, friends, this brings us to the end of our program. Thanks again to our True Tales Live crew. Our next event is our workshop one week from day, today, Tuesday, October 4th, from 7 to 8.30 p.m. And if, as Amy mentioned, if you are thinking about trying out a story, the workshop is a great place to do so, and you can sign up on our website. And speaking of our website, to learn more about our programs, browse to truetaleslivenh.org. And while you're there, sign up for our True Tales Times new e-newsletter. And if you're already a subscriber to the newsletter, share the Times, if you would, with friends who love storytelling. They'll thank you. Our next show is Tuesday, October 25th on the theme of Oops, maybe the per perfect theme days before Halloween. Tonight's show will be posted on PPM TV's YouTube channel probably in about two days or so. Our editor, producer, John Lovering, does fine work, and he does so quickly. Lisa Cron, in her book, Story Genius, How to Use Brain Science to Go Beyond Outlining and Write a Riveting Novel, notes, we don't turn to story to escape reality. We turn to story to navigate reality. And in her book, American Girl, Memories That Made Me, made me Georgia Scott writes, before there is science, there are stories to explain the world. They make it happier somehow. That's our program for tonight. Thanks to our tellers and our crew and you. My name is David Prainer. Good night. Thank you.